Hello and welcome to another episode of the UK Dividend Stocks podcast. My name is John Kingham and today we are going to have a look at S3 which is a world leader in STEM recruitment. So S3 why let me let me back up a bit and I'll just say why S3 um I want to have a look at S3 because it's been in my portfolio for the last year or so uh and I sold it a few days ago at the start of November um so obviously I think it's a good dividend growth stock otherwise it wouldn't have been in my portfolio so um I think it's a good example of a a, a dividend growth stock which is at the more cyclical end of things so it's not Unilever which I also own um, it's more cyclical than that but I still think it's a good dividend growth stock um, anyway so S3 it's a uh, it's listed in the FTSE small cap index but it's pretty big for a small cap I think it's going to move up to the 250 uh, anytime now the market cap Last time I looked was 750 million, so that's really FTSE 250 territory. Uh, the blurb on the company's uh, annual reports is that S3 is the world's number one pure play STEM recruiter. So STEM obviously stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths. Um, as market trends shift and STEM skills become ever more prevalent, we are helping to build communities of talent and to future-proof people's careers while providing our customers with their most valuable asset. So it's a recruitment firm. It has recruitment consultants and they go out, they, they find companies or companies get in contact with S3 or through the websites, obviously, typically, uh, that are looking for engineers, computer programmers, scientists, people in the finance industry um, and S3 goes and finds the right people or it connects uh, people with um, their next uh, company. So in uh, in this episode, I want to have a look at a, a few main points. So first of all, we'll have a quick look at how the investment worked out because I've sold S3, which I think I said. Um, then I want to have a look at why I think S3 is a good dividend growth stock. Uh, then I want to have a quick look at why I bought it in April 2020 and why I sold it in uh, November 2021 after only um, 19 months, which is a pretty short period of time for a dividend growth investment. So... Before I dive into that, the usual disclaimer, this uh, episode contains information and not financial advice. Uh, if you think you need financial advice, you should talk to a regulated financial advisor. So what were the headline results? So I bought S3 at £2.15p a share on the 8th of April 2020. I sold them on the 5th of November 
for £5.84 a share, which was after uh, a year, which is a, the holding period of a year and seven months, which is pretty short. The total return, including pretty minimal dividends over that time, uh, was 146%, which gave the investment an annualised total return of 87% per year which is ridiculously good so the first thing is i've got a pause there because someone is knocking at the door so the annualized total return was 87 percent per year which is ridiculously good uh you shouldn't by any stretch of the imagination expect to get 87 percent per year returns my target return is about 10% a year. So obviously S3 did much better than that. Um, you know, really it's because I bought the shares at the bottom of the market crash in 2020 and there's been a big recovery since then. So that's kind of the, has been the main driver of it. Um, although that's not to say, you know, the, the good performance is entirely luck. Uh, there's a certain element of judgment in, uh, when you're going to buy a company's shares at the bottom of a crash. Uh, and we'll get onto that um, soon enough. So, why do I think S3 uh, is a good dividend stock? Why did I want to put it in my portfolio? Apart from the fact that the, the share price had fallen off a cliff um, in April 2020, along with the rest of the market. So, um, let me just back up and say that what I want out of a, a, a company is I want it to pay a progressive dividend or dividend with progressive growth over a long period of time. That's fundamentally what I'm looking for. Um, and so obviously the first thing, if you're looking for a company that's going to grow its dividend progressively over time for a long period of time in the future, um, you know, a good place to, to start looking for those companies is to look at their past growth. So in S3's case, it had uh, a long and fairly consistent track record of growth. Uh, so for example, the company was set up in 1986, at which point revenues were zero. By 2005, revenues had grown to 300 million. By 2008, they were just over 600 million. And then by 2019, they were just over 1.3 billion so the company had produced a lot of growth reasonably consistently for a cyclical business um, and the dividend had been grown and sustained ever since the the, the company was uh, listed so it had a good track record the second thing that s3 had which is probably well okay so it's just as important as the the track record of growth but really it's more important, which is that it had a track record of consistently high return on capital employed. Uh, it averaged 16% uh, over the last 10 years, and it had been above 10%, I think, in, in pretty much every year. So return on capital employed is really important because that's basically uh, the, the fuel, the return that you get 
on the capital in the business it really sets a cap on how fast it can grow. So if you've got a company uh, and it's producing a 5% return on capital, which is quite low, then unless you take in extra money from outside, like debts, or you take on debt, borrow money from the bank, or if you lease lots of stores or warehouses from landlords, there's no way to grow the capital base of the business, the warehouses, factories, equipment, computers, offices, whatever the, the company needs to, to operate. Um, you can't grow that base more than around 5% if that's all the return that you've got. It's like a savings account. If you've got a savings account with £100 in it and it pays £5 interest, so 5% interest, you can't grow the money in the account any faster than 5%. So return on capital is kind of a, a, a limit on the company's growth rate. So obviously if a company earns 5% return on capital, it's probably not going to grow very fast unless it takes on lots of debt. If a company is producing 20% return on capital, uh, it can grow maybe up to 20%, assuming that the market can absorb that amount of growth and that the company operationally can take that amount of growth. Or, of course, it gives you the option of paying some of that capital out as dividends to shareholders. So if you've got a 20% return on capital, you could reinvest 10%, half of it, and pay the other half out as a dividend. And return on capital is a really good indicator of a quality business because if you don't have some sort of durable competitive advantage, you're not going to be able to generate above average returns on capital over several decades. So, uh, so there we go. So, so S3's return on capital had been consistently above average, which is a very good indicator of quality for, for several reasons. So that's kind of the, the pure numbers from a kind of raw numbers point of view. The company had grown consistently over a long period of time. It produced consistently high returns on capital. So then the question is, well, how has it done that? You can't just magically turn up and produce returns on capital of 16% every or around 16% uh, year after year, decade after decade. It doesn't work like that. If, if you're a so-so a, a business, someone else will come along produce the same products or service at a lower cost and your return on capital will get um, pushed down towards average or less. So there has to be some sort of durable competitive advantage. S3 very probably has some sort of competitive advantage. And it's not entirely, it, it, S3 is the kind of company where the, the, the its competitive advantages are not blatantly obvious. Uh, you know, it doesn't have, it's not Unilever with lots of brands like Magnum or something which people have known for decades and people are happy to, to pay more uh, for those brands because they, they know them and they trust them and they know what they're going to get. So with S3, it's kind of a, it, it's a bit more difficult to spot its uh, competitive advantages. But I think a, a, a big part of it is the fact that the company since inception has focused purely on recruitment and purely on recruitment within science, technology, engineering and maths. So it's stuck to its knitting. It's stuck to a relatively small uh, set of activities. It's kind of niche part of the recruitment market. And that's all it's done for nearly 40 years. And so that obviously, assuming that you've run the business reasonably well, 
you you gain experience from that and if you can embed that experience within the operations of the business you can just over time become better and better and better at what you do i think the fact that s3 came out of the gate really quickly right off from its origins in 1986 is an indicator that it probably lucked into having uh extremely good founders who really knew what they were doing and then it's nice to have genius founders that's great but what you need to do as a company is to capture the genius of the founders and embed it within the processes of the business so that when the founders get run over by a bus or leave or or whatever you can continue to to have expertise and build upon that expertise over time and i think obviously it's like it's impossible to really know unless you go and work in s3 for a few years to get a feel for the business but as an outsider it looks like s3 just really know how to run a stem recruitment business and the fact that they focused on that for nigh on 40 years and produced very good returns consistently over a long period of time and have avoided doing anything really stupid like making massive acquisitions or taking on lots of debt or expanding into areas where they have no expertise they're, they're all kind of soft indicators that it's just a well-run business that knows what it's doing so <coughs> So the, the the first possible competitive advantage is just experience and expertise built up over time. Um, another, it's not really, this isn't a competitive advantage, this is just a, a nice to have, is that the company doesn't really have any debt, which is very a very good idea if you're a cyclical business. So it has very little debt, it's got quite a flexible cost base because a lot of the most of its costs are recruitment consultants, um, but they're typically on commission-based um, earnings. And so if the company's earnings go down, then, then its costs, the recruitment consultant costs go down. That gives it a flexible cost base, which is another very good idea if you're a, a cyclical business. Um, and another thing that protects S3 from the cyclical nature um, of, uh, of its uh, of its business is the fact that it does operate both internationally so it's got offices in the uk the netherlands germany the us i think those are the major markets and then a bunch of other uh, smaller countries and also it's diversified across science technology engineering and maths so if there are kind of issues in you know one particular area of the uh, of the stem market then other areas might do well um so that gives it a, a, a kind of a more robust foundation, which is what you want in a cyclical business, especially if you're going to be buying into a cyclical business at the bottom of the cycle when everyone thinks it's the end of the world. Uh, robustness and a, and a solid foundation is um, critical. Otherwise, you just you could well be buying a company that doesn't exist a few months later. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. S3 also benefits from, uh, to some extent, from a couple of other competitive advantages. One is network effects and the other one is switching costs. So network effects, uh, the, the poster child for network effects is something like Rightmove, where everyone who wants to sell a house goes to Rightmove 
uh, puts their house on Right Move, not because Right Move have got the best website or or whatever anything. It's that that's where all the people who are looking to buy a house are. If you're looking to sell a house, you put it on Right Move because that's where all the buyers are. And if you're looking to buy a house, you go to Right Move because that's where all the sellers are. So the Right Move strength is not intrinsically the business itself they don't do anything clever they're not their website's not not any better than anyone else's what what matters is that they have these networks of buyers and sellers and they're basically a platform that bring the two together and uh, if if you have the biggest networks the biggest group of buyers and the biggest group of sellers in the market then it's virtually impossible for your comp competitors to kind of uh to steal those networks away from you there's just a, a a positive feedback loop um that it makes network effects a fantastic competitive advantage i think in s3's case it's got some network effects because if you're the biggest it recruitment consultant in the uk or um yeah okay we'll stick with that the biggest it recruitment consultant in the uk then then you've got you know more clients more companies on your books and you've got relationships with more companies that are looking for computer programmers than anyone else and so obviously computer programmers are going to want to come to you because you're the one you've got more contacts and relationships with more companies where they can get work and it works the same the other way around so the companies come to you because you've got more computer programmers on your books you've got more relationships with more experts in the industry and so you're the go-to place for companies that are looking for talent. Um, so, and this is true to some extent, but I, you know, I don't. There's no. I would never say that the S3 is anything like Right Move. It doesn't have the dominating market leadership in any any of the the, the STEM uh, disciplines or geographically. Um, also, S3 has been able to successfully scale up businesses from scratch in new disciplines and in new countries you know i wouldn't say easily but it's done it and so there and so you'd expect the incumbents to have um strong network effects but s3 has been able to scale up businesses in some cases into the the leading provider in, in a given country uh, or for a given discipline so i think it has i think there are network effects there are, there are benefits to being the biggest and having the most scale and having the most contacts but i i don't i'm not sure that they're su they're super powerful um so they're kind of nice but maybe not that meaningful and so the other advantage would be switching costs which is that um especially in s3 has a uh, a growing part of its business is what's known as uh, employed contractors so these are uh freelancers contractors who are looking for contracts but they don't want to have they don't want to run their own business like tr traditionally a, a contractor would run their own uh one-man band limited company and you'd have all of that hassle on top of actually doing your job and then you'd have to deal with all the regulatory issues or working out travel if you were going to work in different countries and all that kind of stuff. With the employed contractor model, S3 takes a lot of those um, kind of annoyances or pain points or friction or whatever you want to call it away from the contractor. And the contractor works directly for S3. And then S3 just finds them their next contract with a client that S3's got on its books. 
So that means that the contractor doesn't have to do their own, um, they don't have to run their own limited company. If there are regulatory issues uh, or tax and, and well, maybe not tax. Uh, yes, tax because um, S3 would do all the income taxes. And uh, if there are regulatory issues or if you need to get a malaria shot because you're going to go and work somewhere where malaria is an issue, they'll organize that. So just a lot of the annoying fluff that gets in the way of doing the actual work, S3 can will pick that up. And so if you're an employed contractor working through S3, obviously you're going to want to have your next contract through them. When your current contract ends in a month's time, who are you going to uh, um, use to, to pick up your next contract? It's going to be S3. You're already on their books. You're already employed with them. You know them. You know the systems and processes and everything. And so, you know, so just in the employed contractor model, which is a quite a rapidly growing part of S3's business, there are far more material switching costs than, for example, with permanent recruitment. With permanent recruitment, I want a new job. I go and find a, a company to work for through S3. S3 places me in that job. That's it. I work at that company for 10 years. 10 years later, I want to change to another job. Am I going to go back to S3? Maybe, but not particularly. You know, I'm just going to go and uh, find whatever recruitment stuff. I will look on monster.com or LinkedIn or something. Um, I'm not necessarily going to go back to S3. But if I'm a contractor and every year or two my contract ends or every six months or whatever my contract ends uh, and I'm looking for a new contract, if I'm an employed contractor working through S3, then clearly I'm going to, my first port of call is to try and pick up another contract through S3. And so, the, you know, the, this employed contractor part of S3's business is highly profitable. There are big barriers to entry because for each contractor, S3 ends up having to pay them about £10,000 up front before it can start to claw fees back from clients. Uh, and so £10,000 per contractor is quite a big barrier to entry to smaller firms if, um, you know, you've got several thousand, 10,000 contractors on your books. It, the numbers add up pretty quickly. So uh, anyway, so the so so switching costs are, are, are certainly a useful uh, competitive advantage in the employed contractor model, um, but again, you know they're not they're not massive barriers to exit. If I'm a contractor and S3 isn't doing a good job at finding me a new contract, I can it's a pain to go and work, find a job through another uh, recruitment firm, but it's not. It's not an insurmountable uh, cost, but it's still this is you know it's another um, it's another nice to have another tick in the box of S3's competitive advantages. Um, and then so finally the, the the last reason I like S3 as a dividend growth stock is that it's the markets that it operates in are growth markets. You know, it operates in science, technology, engineering, and math, and uh, maths, and and or finance. And these are not industries that are going into decline, or these are not skill sets that are going to decline. You know, we're only going to need more scientists in the future because people are, are, are living longer, and we're going into space or something, according to Elon Musk, uh, or technology and engineering and and maths. So they're all. Um, parts of the global economy that are growing or skills skills that feed into the global economy that are, that are growing 
Um, and it's got international expansion, uh, exposure, so there's a lot of room to grow in different countries. And it also uh, it is focused on contractors. 75% <clears throat> of its revenues come through contractor placements. And the market for contractors is growing faster than the market for permanent placements because more and more people and companies are looking for kind of project-based short-term agreements rather than permanent employment. So there's a bunch of reasons why I like S3. I still like S3. I think it's a it's a high quality company, and I think it's a good dividend growth stock. Um, and that's why I was happy to buy it uh, in April 2020 when the price seemed to be very cheap. So why did I buy it in 2020? Dig into the details of that a little bit. Um, in 2020, early 2020 was when there was the the big stock market crash because of the the pandemic so the FTSE uh, 100 went from 7,400 to 5,000 in about a month and a bit it just literally fell off a cliff and S3 share price went from nearly 400p to just over 200p in that period so the S3 share price halved and as share, uh, as S3 share price halved, the company jumped up my stock screen because my stock screen um, ranks companies based on their quality, um, their growth and their valuation. And so as S3's valuation became more attractive, it moved up the stock screen. And that's really where I, I first saw it and, and started to pay attention to the company. Um, another reason is that when I bought S3, its dividend had just been suspended, which is quite reasonable for a cyclical company to suspend its dividend in the middle of a pandemic. That's that's not necessarily a negative point. Um, and so when I was looking at the company, uh, uh, and it was 215p, um, the yield, the the twenty, the previous year's dividend, I think had been 14 and a half p, and the yield if the dividend had been reinstated back at that level, would have been nearly 7%. It was 6.7%. So my assumption was that S3 wasn't going to go bust. It wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be permanently damaged by the pandemic. I thought it had a flexible enough cost base, didn't have any debt. I thought what would probably happen was that we'd have you know, a recession, things would be really bad, companies would stop hiring, people would be would stop looking to change their jobs. Uh, and so, of course, S3 would be hurt. But my assumption was that within five years or so, <clears throat> the company would be able to, uh, to, to bring its dividend back up to where it had been before the, the pandemic, at which point it would have a 7%, a nearly 7% yield uh, on the purchase price. And I also thought that um, longer term, S3 is a, is a growth stock. It operates in growth markets. It's still growing. It produces high returns on capital, so it can fund growth from reinvested earnings. So I thought it could, it could probably grow its dividend by at least 5% over the longer term. So at 215p, S3 had, in my opinion, uh, the possibility of a 7% dividend yield 
when the dividend was reinstated. And then after that, maybe 5% growth or, or possibly more. So there was a, a, a potential 7% yield plus uh, 5% dividend growth. And that's a, that's a very attractive combination. Um, and so that's why I invested. So how did things pan out? Well, I, I've already sold S3. I sold it uh, at the start of November. So I only held it for 19 months, which is very short. Um, I've got other companies in my portfolio that have been there for um, a decade. So 19 months is nothing really. So why have I sold them? Basically, the economy and S3 in particular recovered more quickly than I thought they would. I thought it maybe it would take S3 a few years to, to, to kind of get the dividend back up to, for things to kind of get moving again. Um, but it's been much quicker than that. It's been quite a strong uh, rebound as markets have reopened. And obviously it's exposure to technology really helps and science really helps. And uh, and so the the company uh, has, has performed quite well. And so obviously investors have become more optimistic. Uh, and this has driven a material increase in the share price. So the share price has gone from £2.15 when I bought the company uh, to £5.84 uh, when I sold a, a short while ago. So my when I when I when I first bought S3, I bought it based on an analysis of the company, its yield and potential dividend yield and potential dividend growth rate, plus where it was ranked uh, on my stock screen. That was in April 2020. Since then, I've slightly changed the way that I value companies, and I now build discounted dividend models for each company that I look at. And so I now have a discounted dividend model for S3, which I didn't have when I bought the company. So if you don't know what a discounted dividend model is, um, it's basically you estimate the future dividends of the company and you can use that to calculate or estimate the company's present value. It's, it's fair value today because obviously the value of a company is very closely related to its future dividend payments. Uh, I won't go into the details because it takes a little bit of time to explain, but basically it's a model of the company's future dividends that you can use to estimate fair value. So in S3's case, um, my estimate of its fair value based on uh, my dividend model was £6.75. Actually, I'll just briefly uh, describe the model. Um, Basically, the model has S3's dividends <clears throat> returning to uh, full, like pre-pandemic levels in 2022, which is 14.5p. Then they grow by about 8% a year until 2029, at which point they reach 24.7p. And then after that, ad infinitum, uh, they grow at 4.5%. So obviously that's a model. Obviously it's going to be wrong. That's not the point. The point is that you, the model should be reasonable, realistic and conservative. And I think S3 returning to full dividends next year is reasonable. 
And then I think that the growth rates that I just mentioned are reasonable. And so that dividend model then produces a fair value estimate of £6.75. And uh, a good, sorry, it produces a fair value estimate of £6.75, which basically uh, is the price at which if you bought S3, my model says you would get a 7% annualised return from that investment if you bought at £6.75. My good value estimate, which is the price at which if you bought S3, the model says you would get a 10% annualised return. The good value estimate is three pounds and three p. So again, the the model saying that if you bought S three now at three pounds per share, you would get, obviously, based on the model, uh, a ten percent annualised return. And if you bought S three at six pounds seventy five, you'd get a seven percent annualised return. So the current share price is five pounds eighty four, which is below fairly close to the £6.75 fair value. So fair value, I think, is £6.75. The current price is £5.84. So the price is still below fair value, or my estimate of fair value, but not by much. There's not a very big margin of safety. In comparison, when I bought the company in April 2020, the price was £2.15. So it was way, way below even my good value estimate. I'm saying that if you, according to the model, if you bought S3 at £3, you would get, according to the model, a 10% annualised return. And yet I was able to buy them because of the market crash in April 2020, not at £3, but at almost £2. So according to this model, the shares were very, very cheap in April 2020. At £5.84, they're obviously far less cheap. And um, the margin of safety, which is something I calculate, which basically tells you where the current share price is between the fair value estimate and the good value estimate. So if the if the, the current price equaled the, the good value price, the margin of safety would be 100%, because I would have 100% of the margin of safety that I'm looking for. But at the current price, the margin of safety is only 24% because of course the gap between the current price and fair value is a lot smaller than it was when the shares were £2.15. So the price is now fairly close to fair value. The margin of safety is now a lot smaller. Uh, it's only 24%. Um, another thing I calculate is target position size for each holding in my portfolio. It has an explicit target size, which is based on a combination of the company's quality, its defensiveness, and its valuation. And so as S3's valuation has increased, obviously it's less attractive. The yield is lower, the expected returns are lower, the higher the price goes. And so the target position size gets smaller. So... As at when I sold at the start of November, S3's target position size had shrunk to only 2.2%. So even if I wanted to hold on to S3, I would only have a position size of around 2% in that company. And at some point, 
it, it's pointless holding a company. You've got to spend all that time reading the annual reports and, and the interims and the quarterlies and watching uh, investor, you know, uh, investor days uh, or seminars and spending time understanding and following the business and you've only got 2% in that business. At some point, the position size is so small, you might as well get rid of it and put the money into something that's more attractive. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, um, you know, the fact that the share price had, had gone up so much, um, when I bought the company, the the pre-pandemic dividend was uh, would have given it a 7% yield. And at the 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 price at, at five pounds eighty four, the price it was at when I sold it uh, a, a few days ago, um, it had a yield of only two point five percent. So S three had basically gone from a company with a near seven percent dividend yield to having or potential yield to having a potential yield of only two point five percent, which is obviously much less attractive. Uh, so basically, the, the main reason I sold S3 is the share price had gone up by nearly 150% and such a rapid increase in such a short period of time just makes the stock a lot less attractive. The yield's lower, it's much closer to fair value, your margin of safety is lower, there's just a bunch of re reasons why you expected returns are lower, there's just a bunch of reasons why it's just not as good an investment at nearly £6 as it was at nearly £2. And then the last reason is that um, the UK dividend stocks portfolio, which is the model portfolio I run on the website and also is exactly the same, almost exactly the same as my personal portfolio. It currently has 28 holdings and I'm in the process of reducing that closer to 20 holdings so that I can focus the portfolio on its, on its best positions. Um, so that was another reason why I was selling S3, but, but really the main reason was that the share price had just gone up so much that it made the investment much less attractive. So, uh, so there we go. So what are the major points that I've covered there? So S3, I think, is a high quality dividend growth stock. I like it. I like the company. I'd be quite happy to invest in S3 again if the price fell off a cliff and it became attractively valued again. Um, I bought it because its shares had halved in value and that made them look very attractive um, with a with a potential 7% yield if the dividend would be reinstated at pre-pandemic levels. Um, then within less than two years, the shares went up by 150%. And so obviously that makes them much less attractively valued because the yield, the potential yield is much less, the expected returns are less, the margin of safety is less, just everything becomes less attractive if the share price goes up that fast. Uh, and, and so therefore it made sense to sell um, S3 and reinvest the proceeds into an existing holding that is much more attractive. And that's what I've done. I've reinvested, I've sold S3 and most of the proceeds have gone into a FTSE 100 company, which is already in the portfolio, which is much, much higher yield, I think has a much higher margin of safety uh, and higher expected returns and will hopefully uh, perform reasonably well. But as ever, we shall see. 
So that's it. If you would like to try to analyze a business uh, using my approach, uh, there are quite a few steps in the process. So I've made a nice little checklist that you can download if you go to ukdividendstocks.com slash checklist um, you can download it for free um, and give it a go um, it's taken about 10 years to build the checklist so uh, there's quite a lot of experience built into it and there's also uh, fairly detailed ex uh, explanations of each point in the checklist so um, that's it if you like the episode Please like the episode on whatever platform uh, you're viewing this and I will see you next time. Goodbye.